Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com Shapiro. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Shapiro. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. CarShield.com slash Shapiro. That's CarShield.com slash Shapiro. The French Prime Minister attacks President Trump abroad. Democrats prepare to take power and Republicans struggle for a message. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty. Well, we have a lot to get to today. First of all, happy Veterans Day to everybody. Thank you to all of our veterans all over America and abroad. We have a lot of folks in the military who listen to the show. We always appreciate everything that they do. Obviously, we couldn't do what we do uh, on a daily basis. Everything dumb that we do here on the show is only backed by the enormous force and might of the American military and the amazing commitment that the men and women of the American military have every single day to keep us safe and to enshrine constitutional principles, not only in the United States, but for our allies abroad. And so I want to get to all of that first. Let's talk about what you do with your stamp. So today, I believe the post office is closed, but let's say that you still need to get all of your postage ready. Well, what you need to do then is go to stamps.com because they have all the great services of the post office without having to wait in line. With stamps.com, you can get all of those amazing services right from your desk 24-7 when it is convenient for you. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package using your own computer and printer. The mail carrier just picks it up. You click, print, mail, and you're done. We use stamps.com at the Daily Wire offices and here at the Ben Shapiro Show to send important letters and packages and merchandise for the show as well. We use it at my house too. I mean, the fact is that you can do it all from your desk. Right now, use promo code Shapiro for a special offer. It includes up to 55 bucks of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on that radio microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in promo code Shapiro. That's stamps.com. Promo code Shapiro. Again, stamps.com. Promo code Shapiro for that special deal. 55 bucks of free postage, digital scale, and a four-week trial. We're really excited to be broadcasting today from WLS, which is the home of the Ben Shapiro Show and will be in the new year as well. And um, it's it's great to be in Chicago. Both my parents are from Chicago, as I was saying to the audience beforehand. Uh, I am originally, my, uh, I'm, I'm a White Sox fan. I've been a Chicago sports fan my entire life, which made me an expatriate in Los Angeles, but everybody in LA is an expatriate. In any case, it's great to be here. But I want to start today by talking about President Trump overseas. So President Trump went over to France to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the World War I armistice. And it came complete with the usual amount of controversy. President Trump goes over there and it's very rainy in France. And apparently he was supposed to go to a particular military cemetery on Saturday. He did not go thanks to the rain. Now, people were saying, well, this is obviously because he's afraid that the rain is going to mess up his hair. Uh, That that, that is not true. Uh, The reason that he did not go is because they couldn't get Marine One in the rain over to the site. The next day, he went over to a different military cemetery. He made a speech there. And when he did, he actually went out there without an umbrella, I think specifically to prove the idea that he was not super afraid that his hair was going to fall off as, as the rain hit it. But the real controversy emerged when French President Emmanuel Macron led tributes to the soldiers killed in World War I 
using a ceremony in Paris attended by scores of world leaders to pretty much go after President Trump. And the narrative about European politics goes something like this. Europe is the great bulwark now against world war because they are for internationalism and the European system. And the people who are the real threats are folks like President Trump and Vladimir Putin and some of the sort of nationalist leaders in Europe. Now, lumping all those folks together is ridiculous. President Trump and Vladimir Putin are not on the same page on virtually anything. Uh, President Trump, while he likes to talk a good nationalist game, the truth is that his version of nationalism is still tied to American constitutional principle because it has to be. American nationalism is not the same as French nationalism or Russian nationalism or German nationalism. In any case, this did not stop Emmanuel Macron from suggesting that he knew better than anybody else how to prevent the unimaginable hell of war in the future. And he said that nationalism is the real problem. And this does get to a root issue with regard to how President Trump talks and what the future of the Western world is. So Macron spoke bluntly, according to the Reuters, uh, of the threat from nationalism. He called it a betrayal of moral values. He said, patriotism is the exact opposite of nationalism. Nationalism is a betrayal of patriotism. Here is what he had to say. L'exact contraire du nationalisme. Le nationalisme en est la trahison. En disant, nos intérêts d'abord et qu'importe les autres, on gomme ce qu'une nation a de plus précieux, ce qui la fait vivre, ce qui la porte à être grande, ce qui est le plus important. Okay, so for those who don't speak French like me, what he says is patriotism is the exact opposite of nationalism. Nationalism is a betrayal of patriotism. When we say our interests come first, those of others don't matter. We erase the very thing that a nation holds most precious, that which gives it life and makes it great, its moral values. Now, this is a very bizarre statement. It's a very bizarre statement for a number of reasons. First of all, patriotism and nationalism are not in direct conflict. And to suggest that patriotism is the exact opposite of nationalism is to misunderstand both patriotism and nationalism, because the exact opposite of nationalism would be just by nature anti-nationalism, right? It'd be for erasing of borders. It'd be internationalism and globalism. That'd be the exact opposite of nationalism. Patriotism is not the exact opposite of nationalism. Patriotism says there is something specifically great about our country. Now, there is overlap between patriotism and nationalism, but they're not identical. So nationalism can be used in a variety of ways. You've seen blood and soil nationalism in Germany during World War II. You've seen blood and soil nationalism in Italy in Mussolini's era. You see blood and soil nationalism in North Korea right now. You see blood and soil nationalism to a certain extent in Vladimir Putin's Russia. Patriotism is the idea that there are certain fundamental principles to a society that are so important that it makes the society better. It makes us exceptional. This is why I think that Americans like to call ourselves patriots rather than nationalists. But to suggest that our patriotism is universal, that the principles that we hold true, that those are universally applicable to anyone inside and outside America's borders is to ignore the fact that various principles can take various forms all over the world. The founding fathers were very much aware of this. If you read the Federalist Papers, the founding fathers specifically talk about how America was built in a specific way because of our unique history and because of our unique geography and because of our unique breakdown in terms of religion. All of that meant that these fundamental human rights principles broke down in a different way here than they might in other places. So for example, just to take an anodyne example, the United States' version of nationalism treasures the idea of a bicameral a bicameral legislature. We have two houses of the legislature. Well, there are plenty of places that don't, right? Israel is a democracy. It has one house of the legislature, the Knesset. Does that mean that Israel is worse than the United States? Well, it means that it's different than the United States in how it runs. Now, I would say that America runs better because of our, because of our bicameral legislature, but that is an element where nationalism does not necessarily mean opposition to other nations. And Macron is doing something 
that I think is is actually ethically dubious. He he's setting up a straw man when he says that Trump says our interests come first; those of others don't matter. Trump has never said that. Right? What Trump has said is our interests come first, specifically because the interests of others matter. If America is weak, we can't actually do good things for other nations. If America is weak, if we can't maintain our own values, if we can't maintain our own borders and our own culture, how exactly are we supposed to offer opportunity for people who want to come to the country? If America were not America, if we, if we put everybody else's interests first, we could not survive as a country. And placing nationalism in direct opposition to patriotism means that you are going to sacrifice the interests of your own country for supposedly the values of people of, of other countries. And you can actually see Europe doing this, which is why Europe is dying and the United States is not. Europe's border policies have been specifically designated toward the idea that Europe owes other parts of the world its fealty, that Europe is supposed to open its borders, that all problems on earth are the problems of the Europeans, and that means open immigration from some places in the world where there are a lot of folks who don't share European values. Well, that's, that's very nice as far as it goes, but what it actually leads to is a breakdown of exactly the principles that Emmanuel Macron wants. So Emmanuel Macron, many of the folks in Europe on the left, they like to talk about our principles are open borders, free flow of capital, free flow of people, because we are not for nationalism, we are for patriotism. And that means letting in as many people as possible. Well, the result of that is a massive blowback all across Europe. What you're seeing is precisely the opposite of what Macron and his friends actually want in Europe. What you're seeing is right-wing governments elected in places like Sweden, in places like Norway. You're seeing all the Nordic countries move to the right specifically because of immigration issues. Because it turns out that Emmanuel Macron's version of values is not actually the same thing as the Swedish version of values or the Nordic version of values or the Italian version of values. What you're seeing is a blowback from Emmanuel Macron's sort of universalism toward the idea that folks are saying, listen, we got to protect ourselves first. Yes, we have universal principles, but we can't help other people. We can't give charity to other people if we just leave our front door unlocked. If we allow people to raid our safe, there's no way for us to give charity or to hire people or to be strong on behalf of others. And the first rule in a moral system is that you have to be able to defend yourself specifically so that you can help other people. And I think that by trying to draw this distinction between patriotism and nationalism, Macron is actually demonstrating why Europe is falling apart. Because again, if Europe's central principle is that nationalism is bad, then what you end up with is internationalism. Well, internationalism can be done in a number of ways, but most commonly it's done with multiculturalism. And when multiculturalism eats a continent, you see the continent fall apart from within. And that's what you're seeing in Europe as birth rates plummet, as importation of foreign labor becomes a way of life, as much of that labor is coming from places where people don't actually share European values. When those values collapse, there's nothing left. What Veterans Day is really about and what Macron is missing is that it was nationalism that led people to sign up and go fight the Hun. Right? It was nationalism that led people to stand up and say, our nation is special. Our nation is worthy of protection. It wasn't that we wanted to uphold the international order. It wasn't that we were there to enforce UN obligations. It was that France wanted to protect itself. Britain wanted to protect France. The United States wanted to protect Britain and France because it was in our interest to do so. If it were not in our interest to do so, then we would not have fought that war. And the same thing is true of World War II. Now, it's certainly much more true of World War II than World War I, a war that nobody really understands why it happened. It's far too complex. But this has real ramifications for how we pursue foreign policy today. So folks on the left will say that the United States should really only pursue foreign policy when it's not in our interest. It's very odd. If you look at how the, how the, how the left critiques the wars in which America has fought, typically they say that America's wars that have been justified are only justified when they are not in America's interest. 
right? When those, when those wars are, are, when we have no connection to the outcome of those wars. So for example, bad war is Vietnam. Why is Vietnam a bad war? Specifically, according to the left, it's because America fought it for imperialism. Now, in reality, Vietnam may have been the most anti-nationalist war of all time, right? We really had very little interest in Vietnam as far as what was happening here at home. Vietnam was half a world away. It was, it was an attempt to hem in the, the Russian and Chinese influence in the Far East in a way that wasn't going to have massive impact at home, at least for a long time. The left hates it, though, because they say that it was just evidence of American imperialism. What's a good war? A good war is the war in Yugoslavia. A good war is the war in Libya. A good war is America putting troops on the ground in Somalia. Places where the United States has very little interest, that's where the left says it's a good war. But when the United States has an actual interest, then all of a sudden the war becomes bad. Well, this is a good way to destroy your own base. This is a good way to destroy your own country. Because again, the, the lessons of, of every war are that powerful countries need to act in their own interest. This is why President Trump is president right now. He's really president because of a couple different forces that were evident from, from the Obama era. Force number one, President, president Obama appeared to be anti-nationalist. He appeared to be anti-patriotic. He appeared to be a guy who really cared very little about American priorities and saw America as a dark force in the world. And Americans responded to that by saying, okay, well, this Trump guy's weird and all, but at least he likes the country. Right? At least that guy is fond of the country and thinks America has done good things all over the world. So I don't know what Macron thinks that he is, he is doing here. I don't know whether he believes that the bulwark against the breakdown of Western civilization is going to be ripping into people who want their country's interests pursued. But if so, he's wrong. He'd be better off making the case that America's interest is in the international interest, and France's interest is in the international interest, and Germany's interest is in the international interest. That in, in other words, we share interests. Those interests are not identical. We don't have to eliminate borders. We don't have to get rid of what makes America strong or France strong or Germany strong, but we share interests. And as sovereign nations sharing interests, that's where we are strongest, which has historically been the truth. Now, the rest of the weekend was kind of weird. Apparently, there were a bunch of topless women who charged President Trump's motorcade in Paris. According to the Washington Examiner, they say at least three topless women jumped a barricade to confront President Trump's motorcade Sunday as he traveled to a ceremony. I don't know whose barricade they think they're jumping or why that would be a dissuasion for President Trump. Uh, this seems, this is bizarre. So Femin is the feminist group that has staged similar topless protests. They claimed responsibility, saying on Twitter that the women were protesting the hypocrisy of the event. The words fake and peace were written on woman's, woman's body as she ran within feet of the presidential limo. President Trump did his best to open the car door, but Secret Service prevented him from doing so. <laughs> uh, you, you, do have to, you do have to admire uh, the complete lack of, of touch, uh, being in touch with reality that some folks on the left have when it comes to President Trump, so much so, again, that they think that it's going to be. Right? Again, I, I, what is the logic there? I mean, <laughs> I, well, President Trump is really going to be upset if we run up to him with our boobs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so there's that. Again, one of, the, one of the reasons that I go back to this nationalism, patriotism point is because it is very obvious that the left believes that people all over the world share interests. People all over the world have the same interests. Because the only way you can make the case that nationalism is bad and is directly opposed to patriotism is if you believe that people all over the world have basically at root the same interests. And this is a sort of point that was pushed by politicians on both sides of the aisle, from Woodrow Wilson all the way to George W. Bush. Uh, George W. Bush was fond of saying that there was a yearning in every human heart for freedom. That is just a lie. It is not true. There is a yearning in every human heart for freedom that is very often overcome by other forces, including a need to feel part of a community, including a need for sanctity. Right? Jonathan Haidt talks in his book, The Righteous Mind, about all of the different values that we hold dear in our everyday lives. In the United States, 
we believe that liberty is at the top of the pyramid when it comes to values. But for a lot of folks, it isn't. For a lot of folks, it's closeness to their religious community. For a lot of folks, it's a belief in, in sanctity. For a lot of folks, it's a belief in that, that certain people must be separated from. And when you look around the world and you're not a nationalist, it makes me wonder what you're thinking. Uh, for example, th- this is a video of thousands of supporters of Islamist parties who took to the streets in Karachi in Pakistan. They're protesting a, a, the acquittal of a woman named Asia Bibi. I'm going to show you that video in just a second first. Let's talk about you dressing a little bit better. So you see this jacket that I'm wearing right now? Look at this magnificent piece of clothing. Look at this. I mean, feast your eyes upon it. The reason that you want to shop at Peter Millar is because you want a jacket like this. And let's face it, you're not going to have one unless you spend the money. You need to go to Peter Millar's ex- uh, Peter Millar right now. This is the Peter Millar excursionist blazer, which makes it sound like I'm actually going to parachute into the middle of the Amazonian wilds in this jacket. I don't know if that would work or not, but I can tell you that this thing is super comfortable. Peter Millar uses the lightest padding and materials in the shoulder for this particularly soft coat because you don't actually want to feel the weight of a blazer on your shoulders after wearing it for a few hours. Also, it's pretty stylish from the width of the lapel to the button placement. Every detail has been thought of so you can look the part. The style is modern. The fit is fantastic. And you will feel confident whether you're wearing it to the big meeting or out for dinner and drinks or whether you're doing excursions across the Nile. It's not every day you buy a blazer. And that is why you ought to make a good investment in the blazer you do buy. Head over to PeterMillar.com slash Ben. Check out this blazer and some of my other Peter Millar favorites. Be sure to use my link and you'll receive free shipping and a leather travel caddy. That's Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash Ben. That's PeterMillar.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. PeterMillar.com slash Ben. They make all their clothes are great. I have Peter Millar slacks. I have some Peter Millar shirts. All of them are just fantastic and fantastically comfortable. Go check them out right now. PeterMillar.com slash Ben. That's PeterMillar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash Ben. And again, you get that special deal when you use the link. You get free shipping and a leather travel caddy as well. Okay, so look at this video from Pakistan. And what you will see is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of people not sharing values across the world. This is a video from Karachi, Pakistan. And there's a woman named Asia Bibi. Asia Bibi is a Pakistani Christian woman. She spent eight years on death row for blasphemy. She was recently acquitted. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people showed up in the streets of Karachi to suggest that instead she should be given the death penalty. This is what it actually looks like in Pakistan over the weekend. Let me stop it there. These are not folks who share values, right? These are not folks who you want invading your country or coming into your country as refugees if they don't share your values. Again, this idea that nationalism has to be forcibly stopped so we can make room for patriotism is the death of the West. The West can only stand on its own two feet when the West knows its own values. And those values are specific outgrowth of a set of cultural and historical circumstances unique to the West. These values are not held by everyone on earth. The values that we have in the United States, the freedoms we enjoy, from freedom of speech to freedom in economics, these things are the outgrowth of 3,000 years of Judeo-Christian development capped by an enlightenment that is rooted again in those same values. They did not spring up in the Far East. They did not spring up in South America. They did not spring up in Africa. They sprang up at one particular time, in one particular place, because of a certain set of historical circumstances that were driven by a bunch of moral values. And when we abandon those moral values, in the name of everyone has the same values. We're all the same, right? All religions are the same and all cultures are the same. And we ought to treat everybody as, as exactly equivalent. What you are doing instead is you are bringing the threat in-house. 
And you've seen this, particularly in Europe. In the United States, you haven't seen it quite as much because our immigration policy hasn't been quite so welcoming with regard to, and, and thanks to proximity, we're not quite as close to places like you're seeing here. But you've obviously seen the impact in crime rates in places like France and Sweden. You've seen enclaves that have been formed of, of radical Muslims from places like this who believe in the same things that these folks believe in. There's a reason that Asia Bibi is going to have to require some sort of amnesty, uh, some sort of, of uh, some sort of sanctuary from the from this country. She's going to have to take refuge in Europe. She's going to have to take refuge in the United States because, again, values are not always shared. And pretending that values are always shared, which seems to be a unique privilege of, of Europe in the aftermath of two world wars, is astonishing. Also, hearing the Europeans lecture us on preventing world war is really galling. It's really galling. Like These are the folks who brought us two world wars in the course of a century, the two deadliest wars in human history. And then they're going to teach us all about what they've learned from those wars at the same time that their continent is falling apart. And it's not just falling apart on cultural grounds, it's falling apart on economic grounds too. And the fact is that the euro is in serious trouble, that the idea of a confederation of European states was good insofar as creating a bulwark against Soviet oppression, but it was not good economically speaking, because it turns out there are a bunch of states in Europe that aren't going to pull their, pull their weight. And this is what you've seen from Greece, from Spain. You've seen certain countries in the EU who are supposed to be doing bailouts. You've seen certain other countries in the EU who are not going to pay for those bailouts. And all of this is a serious problem. All of this is a serious problem. So failures to understand their own economic interests have led the EU to fall apart. And what you're seeing is a resurgence of nationalism. Now, again, I'm not saying that pure nationalism is a good thing. It's not. Nationalism is just a means. It is not in and of itself an end. Nationalism isn't even an ideology. It's sort of like populism. It's a tactic. But it can be a very good thing. And abandoning nationalism in favor of the international global governance regime is foolish. And it's why President Trump, when he says globalist and the left hears anti-Semitism, what he's really saying is we don't want international bodies governing for the United States how we ought to do our business. That's all he's saying. And frankly, I don't see a whole hell of a lot that is wrong with that. Okay. Meanwhile, there's a piece of news that is that is really troubling, and nobody in America is, is going to deal with it. I'm going to talk about that in just one second. But first, but first, we need to talk about how you brush your teeth. So one of the most important things that you do for your health every day is brush your teeth, but most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush. It is created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. I bring my Quip toothbrush on the road because it is easy to pack. You don't have to bring one of those bulky charging stations. This, this particular toothbrush provides you sensitive sonic vibrations, a built-in two-minute timer. It pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping to guide a full and even clean. It has a multi-use cover mount, which sticks to your mirror and unmounts to slide over the bristles for on-the-go brushing. And best of all, the brush heads are automatically delivered because when's the last time you replaced your brush head? You don't remember, do you? Because you didn't write it on your calendar. It wasn't that important to you. And now it's been six years since you actually replaced that brush head. And it's just disgusting. That is why you need brush heads that are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks. That's why I like Quip. Go to Quip right now at getquip.com slash Shapiro. And Quip starts at just $25. Right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That is your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Shapiro, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash Shapiro. Go check it out right now. Okay, well, speaking of doing the things that America needs to do to keep itself safe. We are not going to do one crucial thing, and it's going to be a serious problem for us. That crucial thing is we are not going to pay down our national debt, nor are we going to take the measures necessary to pay down our national debt. The reason I discuss this is because today the Wall Street Journal is reporting on a development that 
people who have actually studied American governance have known about for years. Apparently, the U.S. debt, the U.S. debt is going to cost us more in the near future than our own national defense. That's just the, the service on our own debt. Thanks to the weakness of the global economy, tremendous, there was tremendous appetite for American debt, right? We were able to sell our debt and, and everybody was going to buy it because America was still the best bet in the global economy. But that could soon be ending. According to the Wall Street Journal, the Congressional Budget Office estimates interest spending is going to rise to $915 billion by 2028, or 13% of all outlays, and 3.1% of gross domestic product. Along that path, the government is expected to pass the following milestones. We'll spend more on interest than we spend on Medicaid in 2020. By 2023, more than we spend on national defense. By 2025, more than we spend on all non-defense discretionary programs combined, from funding for national parks to scientific research. In other words, we are spending ourselves into oblivion, and neither party has an interest in curbing this. Democrats don't have an interest in curbing this because they like the spending. Eventually, it's going to lead us to Nordic tax rates, which is exactly what they want. This is why they're talking about blowing out the debt even further. They want Medicare for all. They want free college. All of this is going to cost tens of trillions of dollars over the next 10 to 15 years. They don't care about that because in the end, what they actually want is a middle-class tax hike. You can't tax the rich enough in this country to pay for all this stuff. Everybody on the left knows this. They're lying about it. What they want is 60% tax rates for everybody making above 50 grand in the country because that's what the tax rates are in places like Norway and Sweden and Denmark. So Democrats are fine with all of this and they're lying about what costs us money. They say, well, it's the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan. It's the tax cuts. That is not the stuff that is bankrupting the country. The stuff that is bankrupting the country is Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. It is those three programs that represent something like 60% of the entire American budget. Meanwhile, Republicans are gun shy of this stuff for good reason. They are deeply afraid that if they touch any of these third rails, then their political support will collapse, which is why President Trump has made it a point never to talk about entitlement reform. He doesn't want to touch entitlement reform. He's afraid of entitlement reform. Paul Ryan will leave office without having touched entitlement reform. And all this means is that we are going to run this car right over the cliff. And then we'll have two parties that are either uh, that are having arguments about cutting around the edges, right? Austerity programs around the edges or raising taxes dramatically. And that's because right now we don't have a principled enough American people. In the end, it's up to the voters to actually do the right thing here. The American people are not calling for the sort of structural changes that are necessary because they don't see the crisis until the crisis actually materializes. I'm old enough to remember, I was part of the Tea Party. I'm old enough to remember when we talked about fiscal responsibility. Let's be frank about this. President Trump has blown out the debt. Okay, Barack Obama blew out the debt. President Trump is blowing out the debt. Right now, the debt is rising at faster rates than it was under Barack Obama, largely because of the tax cuts, but also because Trump has not slowed spending in any serious way. Republicans are so deeply afraid of touching this issue that they are going to leave office without ever having touched the issue which is going to lead to economic chaos. Because the other thing to remember is all the other countries that have been able to blow out their, their debt to GDP ratio, they've always been able to rely on the economic growth provided by the United States. What happens when the United States is no longer providing that economic growth because we've had to undergo these massive tax increases or because we've had to undergo massive austerity? Things could get very ugly very quickly. If we don't start to take a look at these issues, then bad things are going to happen. Unfortunately, we're instead going to focus on the 2020 election and the, and the rock'em, sock'em robots of the next presidential election. So according to Mark Penn and Andrew Stein, both Democratic operatives, they think Hillary Clinton's going to run again. Really, I know. Every day we stray further from God's light. Uh, the, uh, so they have a piece today called Hillary Will Run Again in the Wall Street Journal. It says, get ready for Hillary Clinton 4.0. Well, the last upgrade really sucked. So I'm hoping that Hillary Clinton 4.0, the upgrade is actually slightly less robotic. It, it, she, she definitely lives in the uncanny valley for folks who are, who are fans of sort of 
computer-generated films. There's something in computer-generated films called the Uncanny Valley, where if you if you put a human face on a computer, it looks slightly creepy to you. If you watch Polar Express, right? Polar Express looks kind of creepy. It was famous for this because it lives in the Uncanny Valley. The characters look too much like humans for you to for you to think that they're animated, but they don't look enough like humans to actually feel comfortable with them. That's Hillary Clinton. She lives in the Uncanny Valley. She's been there for her entire career. <coughs> According to Mark Penn and Andrew Stein, she is going to run again. They say that she is she's going to come back stronger than ever. She has a 75% approval rating among Democrats, an unfinished mission to be the first female president, and a personal grievance against Mr. Trump, whose supporters pilloried her with chance of lock her up. This must be avenged. And say, so expect Hillary 4.0 to come out swinging with her cane, presumably. She has decisively to win those Iowa caucus goers who have never warmed up to her. They will now see her as a strong, partisan, left-leaning, and all-Democrat, the one with the guts, experience, and steely-eyed determination to defeat Mr. Trump. Mrs. Clinton knows both Mr. Clinton and Mr. Obama declared they weren't running until they ran. She may even skip Iowa and enter the race later, but rest assured, Hillary 4.0 is on the way. Well, you know, those of us on the right who recall President Trump beating her, we say, oh, this would be the worst idea Democrats ever had. I'm not quite so sanguine about that. You know, Hillary Clinton handpicked President Trump. Like, she actually wanted him to run, thinking that if he runs, I'll swamp him. And then obviously she didn't. It's a dangerous game trying to handpick your opponent because God doesn't like it very much. I just get the feeling that God, God thinks that your, your hubris must be, must be dealt with. Here, here's the problem for, for President Trump. We're all very sanguine that Hillary Clinton is deeply unpopular, that President Trump is able to drag her through the mud. All of that is true. Hillary Clinton lost in 2016, not merely because President Trump successfully dragged her down into the mud, but also because no Democrat cared about her. Her actual unpopularity ratings among Democrats were not good. A lot of Democrats didn't show up to vote for her. The reason that she lost is because no one showed up to vote for her in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. If you look at the actual, if you look at the actual percentage vote that Trump won in those three swing states that he won, they're directly in line with the percentages that were won by George W. Bush and Mitt Romney in those states. He won the states. Bush and Romney both lost the states. Why? Because people turned out to vote for John Kerry. People turned out to vote for Barack Obama. Nobody turned out to vote for Hillary Clinton. Does anyone on the right really think that that is going to repeat itself in 2020? That Democrats aren't going to show up to vote? The turnout was unbelievably large for 2018. For this midterm election, the turnout was significantly higher than 2014. In many areas, it surpassed the turnout in a presidential year in 2016. Democrats are extraordinarily motivated. And one of the reasons they're extraordinarily motivated is because President Trump is a very polarizing figure. And those of us on the right are happy with that. Those of us on the right are enjoying a lot of that. We're enjoying watching him battle the Democrats and battle the media. But what we saw in this last election cycle is that there was, in fact, a slow rolling blue wave. There's a lot of talk, oh, it wasn't a blue wave. That was the early result. I said very early on, this is not a blue wave. There's only one problem. As the results have been coming in, this looks more and more like a blue wave. By the end of this election cycle, when all the votes are tallied, it looks like it's going to be R plus two in the Senate. Maybe, right? We retain Rick Scott's seat in Florida. It'll be R plus two in the Senate in a, in a, in a midterm election cycle in which there were 10 vulnerable Democratic seats. Republicans would have picked up two, right? That is, that is not a good showing. And in the House, they're going to lose up to 40 seats. Which is, which is a blowout. They lost all of the suburbs. None of this is particularly good. Democrats also swamped Republicans in state legislatures across the country. Right? The, the, they picked up something like 4.6% of state houses. They reclaimed more than 250 of the many seats lost during Barack Obama's presidency. And they gained enough seats to deprive Republicans of supermajorities in Michigan, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. They've been making serious ground in all of the areas in which President Trump actually needs to win. And this has led to a bit of a, of a 
crisis for Republicans who are willing to see it. And I think that crisis is good. I think the Republicans need to think strongly about what they're going to do next. Now, listen, there is one plan. One plan is we let the Democrats blow it, right? And that, that plan is not terrible. And Democrats have a habit of blowing winnable elections, um, although the margin for error is getting very slim. Kristen Sinema is going to be the next senator in Arizona, which is insane. Okay, Kristen Sinema in, in Arizona is an actual nutcase, right? She said in 2003, she didn't mind if Americans joined the Taliban. She's going to be the senator from Arizona. And Kristen Sinema is a person who went around the United States legitimately shouting at people that Arizona was a terrible state. She's going to be the senator from Arizona. That's how bad things were in this election cycle for Republicans. She beat Martha McSally, the first female Air Force pilot to fly in combat in that race. Hey, things are not looking good for Republicans. So even if the Democrats were to run somebody completely nutty, which is sort of your hope in 2020, Republicans are going to have to come up with a better message. In a second, I want to talk about what that better message looks like and also why we may still be able to count on Democrats being completely out of their minds. First, let's talk about your ancestry. 23andMe is named for the 23 pairs of chromosomes that make up your DNA. 23andMe is a personal genetic service. It helps you understand what your DNA can tell you about you and your family story. So your loved ones are getting together this Thanksgiving. Discover more about the genetic connections you share and show that you have more Native American blood than Elizabeth Warren at Thanksgiving. Right, Elizabeth Warren claimed that she was Native American. She is, in fact, whiter than the backside of this sheet of paper. And... You can go into Thanksgiving and say that you are more closely related to Squanto than, than Elizabeth Warren is, actually. The 23andMe Ancestry Service allows you to see how your DNA breaks out across 150 regions worldwide, trace parts of your ancestry to a specific group of individuals from 1,000-plus years ago. You can discover how much Neanderthal DNA you inherited. I, I fear how, much American voter, how many American voters have a lot of Neanderthal DNA based on the midterm elections. But go check out 23andMe right now because, because they have all of this great stuff. I mean, not only do they have these share and compare tools where you can explore genetic similarities and differences between you and your relatives, and not only do they have the Neanderthal ancestry test, they also can tell you whether you are lactose intolerant. They can tell you whether, whether, you, whether you have certain uh, genetic predispositions to certain, certain conditions. Go check out 23andMe right now. Now through Thanksgiving, 23andMe Ancestry service kits are only 49 bucks per kit when you buy two or more. That's 50% off the regular kit price of 99 bucks this holiday. Again, order 23andMe at 23andMe.com slash Shapiro. That's 23andMe.com slash Shapiro. Go check it out right now, 23andMe.com slash Shapiro. Okay, well, we are going to continue the show in just a second. But for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. When you subscribe, you get the rest of the show live. You get the rest of Andrew Clavin's show live, the rest of Michael Moles' show live. We usually have our mug, our, our, our leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. We usually bring it with us on the road and then it, it takes on its properties of invisibility. We didn't bring it today, unfortunately. But when you get the annual subscription for $99 a year, then you get that tumbler as well. So go check it out. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. Okay, so let's talk about what Republicans can actually do to recover. Number one, as I say, they can count on Democrats being insane, right? They can count on Maxine Waters being the head of the Financial Services Committee. So Maxine Waters, who apparently is going to take up that chairmanship, she says that what Republicans are truly scared of is strong black women like Maxine Waters. No, I'm just scared of Maxine Waters herself. Like strong black women, totally fine. Mia Love's great. Right? Condi, Condi's great. Maxine Waters... Scared of her because she calls riots uprisings in Los Angeles, where I am from. Legitimately, as we watched the city burn during the L.A. riots in uh, 1991, she, she was walking around talking about how it was an L.A. uprising. She says now that the GOP is just scared of strong black women like Maxine Waters. 
Oh, I don't make anything of them. That's the opposition uh, talking about what would happen if this strong black woman, Maxine Waters, is the chair of the Financial Services Committee. They've never seen anybody like me before. There's never been a woman in the history of this country uh, that's been the chairperson of the Financial Services Committee, and certainly never a black woman. And so uh, they send out these dog whistles to their constituents uh, to get them fired up about the possibility of what Maxine Waters might do. Well, I'm more scared about the possibility that Maxine Waters may, in fact, use the Financial Services Committee to commit financial impropriety, because it turns out that her relatives by 2004 had made more than a million bucks during the preceding eight years by doing business with companies, candidates, and causes that Waters had helped. She was named one of the most corrupt members of Congress in 2005, 2006, 2009, 2011 by the leftist watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. When she worked on the Financial Services Committee during the downturn, she arranged meetings between U.S. Treasury Department officials and one United Bank where her husband was an executive so that the bank could plead for federal cash. So, yeah, I'm more afraid of her being just a corrupt, terrible human being than I am of her race. But this is going to be the pitch that Democrats run, then, then Republicans have a shot. Republicans have been able to count on the intersectional politics of the Democrats for a very long time. Hopefully they can continue to count on that. And Democrats are taking the wrong lessons from the 2018 elections, which is good. Right? The overwhelming victory, including the victory of Kristen Sinema in Arizona, it could have a silver lining. Kristen Sinema is so nuts that Democrats may think, oh, you know what? She won in Arizona. We can run complete crazy people straight from Arkham Asylum, and they will absolutely win. It'll all be fine. I mean, they nearly won in Georgia uh, with a candidate, Stacey Abrams, who talked about full-scale gun confiscation. So maybe they, maybe they get deceived. Maybe they deceive themselves. Michelle Goldberg, who's an expert at, defeat, at, at deceiving herself, an opinion columnist over the New York Times, the worst editorial page in America, she says it took a while for the conventional wisdom of the American political class, accustomed to treating Democrats as hapless and disorganized, to catch up to what the resistance had accomplished all over the country. Three of the marquee candidates progressives were most excited about, Andrew Gilliam in Florida, Stacey Abrams in Georgia, Beto O'Rourke in Texas, seemed to fall short. But by the end of the night, it was clear that the Democrats had won the House. And in the following days, new races kept being called. There are a bunch of progressives who have won. And this means that progressivism is triumphant all over the country. Well, maybe we can somehow deceive Democrats into continuing to believe this. Progressivism was not, in fact, triumphant all over the country. Of the eight candidates who were the most progressive, as labeled by the nation, all eight of them lost. Uh, Andrew Gillum, if he had lost his primary, Ron DeSantis would not be the future governor of Florida. Stacey Abrams, if she had been slightly more moderate, would have won in Georgia. Democrats were like this close to a full-out sweep if they had not been completely nuts. So maybe it'll be the same thing in 2020. And the evidence is, is there that Democrats are, are doubling down on a lot of this stuff. And, the, and it's, it, social evidence is there too. I mean, there's a really bad story over the weekend. Tucker Carlson was accused of supposedly assaulting a guy. And Tucker Carlson put out a statement where he said, um, that's not what happened. Apparently what happened is he was eating dinner uh, at a place with his family and his daughter, who's 19, went to the bathroom. And this guy went up to her and called her a whore. Uh, and so Tucker Carlson was already outside of the restaurant by this point. His son went back in, threw wine on the guy. Uh, here is a video of the confrontation. So, so again, I mean, there was they, they were saying that Carlson assaulted the guy. He didn't. He'd ever. I mean, honestly, if somebody called my daughter a whore in, in public, 
like the last, uh, this would be the, the mild edge of what would happen to them. Um, but unfortunately, there are a lot of folks on the left who are willing to embrace this sort of politics. We saw that last week after, uh, after this happened with uh, Tucker's house. Remember last week, Tucker's house was, was confronted by Antifa members. Uh, people went to his door. They tried to break through his door. People like Matt Iglesias at Vox.com at Vox uh, came out and said that he deserved it. So it's possible the left will deceive itself into being completely nutty in 2020 and Republicans will win. But there is a better path to Republicans winning in 2020, and that's becoming better at their jobs. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. So evidence that Republicans can be good at their jobs. There's a, a congressional candidate named Dan Crenshaw. Uh, he just became a new congressperson, and he's really terrific. I'm a big Dan Crenshaw fan. You'll remember him from last week because Saturday Night Live, Pete Davidson made fun of him on the show. He's a, a former member of the military, former Navy SEAL. Uh, he's one of the 16 veterans newly elected to the House in the midterm elections. Uh, he's representing Texas's second district. And Pete Davidson had made some sort of offhand, nasty remark about how he looked like a James Bond villain and who cares whether he lost his eye in a war or something. And there was a lot of blowback for it. Well, Dan Crenshaw handled this about as well as it is possible to handle anything. He came out and said, listen, I'm not going to pretend I'm a victim of Pete Davidson. Like, I've fought in wars. Come on. Um, but, you know, the guy's kind of a, it's, he's kind of a jerk and you should respect military members more. Well, Pete Davidson actually did something good. Pete Davidson invited him on Saturday Night Live. And this, I thought, was one of the better political moments that we've seen in American politics over the past several years. Here is what it sounded like. There's a lot of lessons to learn here. Not just that the left and right can still agree on some things, but also this, Americans can forgive one another. We can remember what brings us together as a country and still see the good in each other. This is Veterans Day weekend, which means that it's a good time for every American to connect with a veteran. Maybe say thanks for your service, but I would actually encourage you to say something else. Tell a veteran, never forget. When you say never forget to a veteran, you are implying that as an American, you are in it with them, not separated by some imaginary barrier between civilians and veterans, but connected together as grateful fellow Americans who will never forget the sacrifices made by veterans past and present and never forget those we lost on 9-11, heroes like Pete's father. So I'll just say, Pete, never forget. Never forget. And that is from both of us. So, I mean, that's really good stuff and good for Dan Crenshaw who handled that the best possible way. They also let him come on and mock Pete Davidson's appearance, which is easy pickings. Uh, and so, so good, really good for both of them. That's the kind of politics where Republicans can reach out to new voters that way. How they can't reach out is doubling down on what brought them there. Now, again, 2016 was an amazing election. It was an amazing election for a number of reasons. But what brought you to 2016 is not necessarily what's going to take you to victory in 2020. Between 2000 and 2004, George W. Bush had to pick up 11 million additional votes to slightly beat John Kerry in 2004. That was a close election. Donald Trump lost by 2.5 million popular votes. He won by 80,000 votes in three states. I mean, he ran the narrowest gauntlet you can run. I mean, there's just no way to run that more narrowly. Basically, if, if, if there had been a sneeze in Michigan, he would have lost that state. Uh, he needs to somehow pick up millions of additional voters. Can he do that simply by tweeting things out? I understand it delights all of us in the base. I understand that when he says things, that it's fun to watch him go and it's fun to watch him slap. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't do any of that. I'm just saying channel your aggression. Like a good boxer knows when to put his hands up and when to punch. If you're constantly windmilling your hands, you're going to get socked in the face an awful lot. President Trump is good at taking a punch, but the rest of the party can't take punches the way that President Trump can. When President Trump gets punched, it gets felt in Georgia's 6th district. Trump doesn't feel it. He's only up for election every four years. But we did feel it in suburban districts across the country. So what would you rather be the kind of republicanism 
that is that is making waves across the country. Dan Crenshaw or President Trump tweeting about fires. You know, the, the, the fires in, in California, where I live, are really quite awful. They've now expanded all the way from Thousand Oaks out to the coast. They've burned all the way down to the water, uh, taking a bunch of houses where they burned out Malibu. Uh, they're moving toward Woodland Hills right now. Uh, there are 40, 40 mile per hour winds that, are, that have really been kicking. I mean, like you can see, it looks like a mushroom cloud. I mean, you can actually see the clouds from my house, um, like Russia from Sarah Palin's house, but you can actually see the clouds in the sky and, and the ash is falling from the sky. In the midst of that, President Trump tweeted out, there is no reason for these massive, deadly, and costly forest fires in California, except that forest management is so poor. Billions of dollars are given each year, with so many lives lost, all because of gross mismanagement of the forest. Remedy now or no more Fed payments. Okay, is that useful in any conceivable way? Of course not. Of course that's not useful in any conceivable way. If he wants to change federal forest management policies, he's the president of the United States, he certainly can do that. If he wants to negotiate behind the scenes with Jerry Brown in California and try to structure how exactly California handles its wildlife management, he can do that too. But the reality of the situation is that two-thirds of the lands, of the public lands in California, are run by the federal government directly, and another two-thirds after that are run by private foundations. So it's not just that the state of California was incompetent, and therefore President Trump can do this sort of stuff. If President Trump put down the phone, honest to God, if he put down the phone, if somehow we found a way to drain his battery, or if we constructed, as I've suggested to the White House, a separate Twitter app that allows him to tweet out, but it's actually a closed app. So it doesn't actually go anywhere. It just feeds him back statistics about retweets and a bunch of things like, MAGA, you're doing great. And he's all happy all day. Like that would be the best way to do it because when he punches publicly, sometimes it's very good. But as I've said, literally since the day he announced, the man is a hammer in search of a nail. Sometimes he gets a nail, sometimes he gets a baby. And if you had a baby too often, it turns out people don't like it. And people are going to make people who are allied with you pay the price for it. We are a very polarized country right now. 96% of all seats that Hillary Clinton won by more than seven went Democrat in the last election. More than 96% of all seats Trump won by more than seven went Republican in the last election. There are no more swing districts or at least very, very few swing districts. That means Republicans don't have a lot of room for error. Okay, time for a thing I like and then a couple of things that I hate. So things that I like today. Uh, over the weekend, I was reading a, a very good book on sports called The Last Pass. Uh, about Bob Cousy, Bill Russell, uh, and uh, and the things that matter. It's it's a it's a really good biography of Bob Cousy. If you're a basketball fan, it's kind of fun to read. I like reading sports books a lot, uh, and this one is particularly good. Uh, also, uh, but I, while I like this book, there's something I like even more, and that is Trumpy Bear. So I was not aware of Trumpy Bear. Trumpy Bear is a new one to me. But on Twitter this morning, Trumpy Bear started making the rounds. You cannot defeat the storm. I am the storm, the great American grizzly. Introducing the original Trumpy Bear. Just find the secret zipper and pull out the American flag-themed blanket. Then wrap yourself in the red, white, and blue for comfort and warmth. Show your patriotism and proudly display Trumpy on any American holiday. God bless America and God bless Trumpy Bear. Trumpy Bear loves to cruise with his brother. I'm a former Marine and I'm proud to have Trumpy Bear ride by my side. When I ride with Trumpy Bear, he makes my golf game great again. Thank you, Trumpy Bear. Simply style his trademark hair and place him in his favorite chair. Even the toughest guys will love Trumpy Bear. Order the Super Plus Trumpy Bear for only two payments of $19.95. Now, I'll acknowledge when I first saw this, I imagined immediately this was an SNL skit, right? I mean, there's no way to watch that. And that was an actual commercial that ran on Fox News. As an act and I will admit, I want to buy it, right? I mean, I want to. And, and you have to admire American ingenuity. I mean, this is a great, stupid country. I mean, this is a, it's a great country. That bear is worth approximately seven bucks and 95 cents. They're selling it for two payments of 1995, right? So with shipping, I looked it up today because I was thinking Secret Santa gift for, for Christmas office party. That'd be good, right? 
$56 for a bear with a flag in the back. But at least you get to own the libs, I guess. It's, I, I do love it. It, like, it. it appeals to so many terrible things that are happening right now in the country. <laughs> it appeals to the idea that, that President Trump is the country. President Trump is patriotism. The flag that comes out of the back. Like, you have to get it as a gag gift for a Democrat, I assume. But it is the fact that they thought that there was an audience for that that would actually see that. Like, I would buy it out of irony, right? You, I would imagine most people who buy this buy this out just out of ironic love for it because the commercial is so over the top. But there are a certain number of people who, if you buy that, if you bought Trumpy Bear out of irony, out of not irony, if you bought it sincerely, I, please re-examine your life. Hey, if you bought Trumpy Bear because you were sincere about your love for Trumpy Bear, and because you think that like there are firemen who drive around with Trumpy Bear in the back of the fire truck in all sincerity, please just wow, wow. But good for capitalism. We can make money off anything in this country. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. Okay, so thing number one, Sam Donaldson, who apparently he put on a toupee in 1985, and now it's too late to make the change. Uh, Sam Donaldson was talking about President Trump's base. And he says, Trumpism will never be a majority. He's on CNN talking about all of this. Um, and uh, it was not great. His small base, and I think they're a minority, who believe if the Nazis and the protesters are on both sides, there are good people on both sides. His small base is not going to run this country. They don't now, and they never will. That is some wild hair. Well, the reason that I bring this up is because I actually met Sam Donaldson at like the 2012 RNC in Tampa. And he was wandering around. He was then doing an opinion show for ABC News Radio. And I walked up to him and I said to him, so do you hold the same opinions now that you did back in the 1980s when you were being a reporter, Sam Donaldson? He said, yes. And I said, well, so were you lying then or are you lying now? I mean, you said you were an objective journalist then. And now you say you're an opinion guy. So which is it? And he got very angry at me. Those eyebrows started coming at me out of the dark. And he, and he said, and I, I, I'm not a man who can rip another man's eyebrows usually, but Sam Donaldson has me trumped. Uh, and, and Sam Donaldson, uh, he says, so do you think that you're, you're better than I am? You think you're more honest than I am? I said, well, yeah, I do, actually, because I'm pretty upfront about where I stand on these issues. And you lied about it for 20, 30 years of your career while covering President Trump. The fact that Sam Donaldson is being brought on as an analyst on mainstream media networks is, is evidence of all of this. And it, it is demonstrative, again, of, of why President Trump does still have an enormous amount of appeal specifically to his base. President Trump's number one opposition is not the Democrats. His number one opposition is, is not even foreign adversaries in many ways. His number one opposition is the media. And that's because the media are constantly shifting the narrative about him. Now, I don't believe in the language enemy of the people that he uses because I just don't like that language. It has bad historical antecedents. But when President Trump talks about the, the remarkable unity of goal and rhetoric from the members of the press, he is not wrong about any of that. He is exactly right, in fact, about all of it. And Sam Donaldson, who was the most championed reporter of the 1980s, right? He was the guy. He was the key reporter of the 1980s. The guy was standing up to Ronald Reagan. He was no different than Jim Acosta. Uh, he just had weirder eyebrows. The, meanwhile, on CNN, speaking of, of people who, who look like inanimate objects, Chris Cuomo, who is a block of wood, started slamming people for expressing thoughts and prayers again in the aftermath of a shooting in California. Here is Chris Cuomo doing one of the more obnoxious routines that has become commonplace in mainstream media. Because that's what you do when you offer thoughts and prayers. You mock those who lost loved ones. Because if you gave it any thought at all, you would never walk away from any of these without figuring out a better way to deal with them. And prayer, 
You think leaving it to God is the answer? We pray for strength. We pray for wisdom, for resolve. But we clearly don't want to act on any of those here. So what are you praying for? What would it take? How about a stadium full of children of the most influential people in our society, all holding puppies? What if they were all shot and killed? Would we act? Oh, don't be ridiculous to suggest something like, is it? Is it ridiculous? More ridiculous than doing nothing? Yes, it is ridiculous suggesting that things would radically change if there were a stadium full of five-year-olds holding teddy bears who were shot, that this would suddenly change everything. Yes, that's ridiculous. Number one, because that's not going to happen. And number two, because the insanity of, of Chris Cuomo sitting there and suggesting that there's a whole group of people in the United States who don't care if children get killed because we want to keep our guns is disgusting. Right? You want to know where the passion for Trump comes from? You want to know where the passion from the right comes from? It comes from watching people like Chris Cuomo more than anything else. When people like Chris Cuomo sit there and lecture us about how we don't care enough about dead kids and so thoughts and prayers are useless, he has not yet named a single policy that he could promulgate that would stop the mass shooting that happened in California. It was done not with an AR-15, but with a handgun. There are already laws on the books in California that would have allowed, that would have allowed the shooter's mother to go to the police and try to have his guns removed from him. Laws were already present in the state of California for universal background checks, for 10-day waiting periods, for it's a, May carry, it's, a, it's a May Grant state in terms of concealed carry licenses. California is the number one gun-controlled state in America. There was a mass shooting there, and Chris Cuomo says this is obviously due to lack of will. The NRA is not even operative in the state of California. Gun owners have a minority viewpoint in the state of California. It doesn't matter one iota when it comes to mass shootings. We've had five serious mass shootings in the last six years in the state of California. When Chris Cuomo tries to suggest that everybody who disagrees with him is merely throwing things off, is, is merely delaying policymaking when they say thoughts and prayers, it is deeply deeply insulting to religious people who actually believe in prayer and is deeply insulting to everybody who disagrees with him on policy, who may not believe that his preferred solutions are either effective at stopping mass shootings or at minimizing the extent of those shootings when the damage becomes known. Okay, well, we will be back here tomorrow with all the latest. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Carmina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 